This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, teaching minister Tim Peace will be teaching our message. I'd like to introduce a gentleman that's going to come out and share with us today, Chairman of our Elders, Mr. Larry Elliott. Please welcome him this morning. We're going to take a few moments before our service this morning, before our sermon, uh, to recognize one of our ministers. John Deedy Bacon, would you come forward? Standing ovation before we even get to the presentation. You're awesome, man. Uh, So just to take note here, we want to celebrate and recognize three achievements in Didi's life that come about this year. First, Didi has been on staff here at Mount Carmel for more than 22 years now in this year. Secondly, he has served as our senior minister for 20 years, quite remarkable. Let me share a few statistics with you from the current studies about ministers serving in the United States that demonstrate just how remarkable these achievements are. The latest statistics show that 1,500 ministers leave the ministry in the U.S. each month, each month. The average Bible college graduate leaves the ministry before it completes five years of service. And lastly, I'd share with you that 50% of the ministers in the Christian church leave the ministry before they retire. So Didi has shown a true calling in his life to serve the local church. Mount Carmel has been truly blessed to have him here. He's not going anywhere, I hope. Uh, His integrity, his leadership skills, his teaching ability, and his compassion are without question. So Didi, we know you're not a plaque kind of guy. It wasn't going to hang on your wall. But we, wanted to, we know you love technology, and we wanted to give you this in recognition of your 22 years. It's a smartwatch. It's Apple, but it's a smartwatch. Thank you. I said that there were three things we wanted to celebrate in Didi's life this, at this time of the year. Um, the third thing is he'll turn 50 next month. <laughs> And since he's known as Didi the Speedy in the office, we're going to accelerate that celebration of his birthday, his 50th birthday, because his mother, who is visiting from Zimbabwe, is here. His niece, who's visiting from England, is here. And we wanted them to participate in our celebration of your birthday. 
So uh, while we have been in this sanctuary, the foyer has been converted to a celebration party. So when you leave here after the sermon, please grab a cupcake, please look at the pictures, please chat with Didi about his life and his participation in yours. I'm going to turn this back over to Tim Peace, who's going to give your sermon today. Again, we're, we're still working through the study on the powers of the Holy Spirit, and I know you're going to enjoy Tim's sermon. Hi, everybody. Hi, hi. Uh, so, yeah, I haven't... Hey, whoo. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, my name's Tim. I'm the uh, teaching minister here, and uh, I haven't been up to a whole lot lately. Um, just uh, one thing, really, um, and you can look at the screen there. Um, I have that picture on my phone, and every time I look at it, I want to go home, so um, I promise I won't keep everyone's... Uh, you, can throw, you can throw that back up there again as many times as you want. I don't care about the distraction. Uh, I created this little meme here because, I mean, that face. Anyway, um, his name is Leonidas, or Leo for short. Um, and uh, he was born on July 11th, 7-Eleven. Um, we planned that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, we have been, uh, Angie and I have been... Um, just loving being uh, his parents. He is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's a Bible joke. For those of you familiar, um, I've said plenty of those around the house, and he will get sick of them one day. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. Now, here's the, here's the funny thing. Like, um, you know, with, with being a new parent, I'm sure anybody in the room that's a parent has had all these same thoughts, and none of this is going to be new or novel to anybody, but it just in a month, he turned a month last Sunday, which is insane. He's already 11 pounds. I don't know where he gets his size from because it isn't from me. Um, he, being a parent already for a month has just kind of opened my eyes to, uh, honestly, uh, a whole new world, but also um, opened my eyes to the challenges and things that I still have yet to overcome in life. Because don't let that face fool you. When he wants to eat, he does this thing, like his arms go back. I think he just likes to show his muscles and stuff like that. And he just lets out a whale of a cry. Um, uh, he honestly, at one time, because uh, we obviously didn't make, you know, get things going fast enough, uh, he passed himself out doing it, um, which is amazing. But... You know, one of the things that I've learned just from uh, having him in my life for, for only, you know, only a little over a month is I, I started to think about when I, when I came to faith. You know, a lot of people uh, tell their story of faith and um, people come from all different walks of life before they encounter Jesus. Um, some people hit the lowest of lows in life. They, they have to overcome... Um, uh, difficult sins, uh, personal demons, addictions, all sorts of stuff. And I got to be honest with you, when I grew up, I, I attempted my best to be the goody-two-shoes kind of kid. 
In fact, if you still talk to my parents today, uh, it, it kind of is, a, a, I'm grateful that my parents think I'm a, a, a decent kid and everything like that, but I'm not perfect. But even today, my parents will talk about me as if I've like been this like perfect child, and uh, I haven't. But the truth is, is that when I came to faith, I came to faith as a person that thought that I could make myself right with God, that I could make myself good by my own merit. In fact, my, my desire to start practicing uh, the Christian faith even before I actually came to faith was rooted in this sense of, well, this just makes sense for somebody like me that wants to try so hard to be good, I'll embrace religious faith in the God of the Bible. So I'll read the Bible and I'll try to check every box and do everything the right way. Um, in fact, I was notorious for trying to make pacts with my friends in order to keep us accountable. And I have always been the kind of person that embraced this almost legalism about faith. And I even not only embraced legalism in faith, but I am a control freak. I have this idea that if I do a certain thing a certain way, that, that should, I should reap whatever reward would come from that. And on the negative side of things, I have this constant fear in life that if I trip up anyway, that God is going to come down with a lightning bolt and hit me in some sort of fashion. And I, I've realized that in time of only a month of being a parent, that that, that need for control and that desire uh, toward that legalistic side of things is still there. And God is still working on me. And the reason I know this is, it's because, you know, I told you about, you know, that blood-curdling scream that he can have when he's hungry. Um, there's nothing in my power to be able to, like, fix a particular phase my kid is going through. I, may, I can read all the books, all the articles, I can do all the stuff everyone says, but at the end of the day, my kid's going to go through whatever phases he's going to go through along the way, and I'm just going to, in some manner and fashion have to go along for the ride. And for someone that's a bit of a control freak that wants to just check every box to make sure everything is sound and good to go, that's really, really hard for me to just go along for the ride. And so that, that kind of thinking is really important to us today as we, as we enter into our seventh week of our power series and the text that we're going to look at, which is in Galatians chapter 5. If any of you know anything about the letter to the Galatians, you would know, and for those of you who don't, you're about to, Paul wrote this letter to uh, either the northern or the southern part of Galatia, modern-day Turkey, and it actually is likely or possibly one of the first letters or the first letter that Paul ever wrote. He may have written it as early as 49 CE. It could be the first text written in the New Testament. And that's not all surprising when you read through this text because it's dealing with an issue that plagued the early church. You see, when Jesus came 
and he called his 12, and he amassed his followers, his Jewish followers, and told them to go therefore and make disciples, every one of you, baptizing, teaching, all these things. When Jesus did that, everything about Christianity was still rooted early on in the Jewish faith. And if you know the story of Paul, you'll know that he had a miraculous conversion experience on his way to go persecute that early church. Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus where he was going to go and round up Christians to jail them or worse. And Jesus saved him. And with that message and with the commissioning that came with it, the commission to go be an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul went about telling the world about Jesus. And his faith, according to the letter of Galatians, is rooted in Jesus and Jesus alone. There are three matters Paul deals with. The first of which being that the early church probably didn't like Paul that much. There was probably some distrust since he was a persecutor of the church who had been converted. And it turns out Paul had some issues with those early apostles as well, those, even the 12. He recounts in, in Galatians 2 a, an opposition between him and Peter. And so Paul is arguing that his faith and his message is rooted in Jesus alone and not the teaching of any person, not even the teaching of the apostles. And the reason he does this is because he's trying to make the case that the faith of the Gentile Christians, the Galatian Christians, should be rooted in Jesus and Jesus alone. And yet, it is these other Jesus followers, these Jewish Jesus followers that are coming in and they're telling the Galatian Christians that they must adopt the legalistic practices of the Jewish faith in order to be truly right with God. And as I always like to tell people, when we look at a letter from Paul, you should know or assume that whatever the problem that he's dealing with, the fact that he wrote the letter means that that issue was taking root in that church. Whatever these Galatian Christians were hearing from these other apostles, these people teaching this Jewish expression of the faith, they were buying into it hook, line, and sinker. And so Paul is trying to get people back to a Jesus and Jesus only faith. Now, Paul is a smart guy. In fact, this letter's brilliant because he knows that even though these Christians are not Jewish people, he tells them that based off of God's promise to Abraham, that they are children of God because of their faith in Jesus. So he actually argues using the Jewish teaching that they're hearing to go against the teaching they're hearing, and turn, turn people toward Jesus. And in the last phase then of the letter, the third part, he talks about the idea of being no longer a slave to the law and a slave to the ways of the flesh, but freedom in Christ. And it's in that section that we're going to look at our text today, which is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. So if you want to, go ahead and open your Bibles or look at the screen here. There, Leo again. Thanks, I needed that. Um, we'll go ahead and we'll read through this. Paul writes, 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now, this passage we, we could talk for weeks about because, well, we don't have time to do it. So we're not going to talk for weeks uh, unless you want to stay here for a while and then, no, nobody, okay. Um, we gotta, there's a party. Anyway, uh, okay, so here's the thing about this passage. Paul is using a vice list and a virtue list, which he does a lot in letters, to summarize life lived under the law and exhibited through the flesh, and succumbing to the desires of the flesh, versus the virtuous life that is produced by walking in the Spirit. And I want you to catch something. He doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. This is not a plural here. This is fruit of the Spirit. And so, if you are like me at all, or if you're like these Galatian Christians, possibly being won over by a legalistic way of doing things, it would be easy to take each item in Paul's list and turn it into a checklist, and to do the same thing with the vices in the list, and turn them into a checklist, and say, oh, I didn't do that today, I didn't do that today, oh, you know what, I was kind today. I feel good about myself which is all you're going to get, by the way, if you turn it into a checklist, feeling good about yourself. Until you mess up, then you won't feel good about yourself anymore, trust me. See, what Paul's doing instead is he's not creating a checklist. He's qualifying what it looks like. What does it look like if you watch somebody who is living by the flesh versus living and walking by the Spirit? What would this person look like? If you close your eyes and you imagine the person that walks by the Spirit versus the person living in the flesh, what do you see? And he's painted a portrait for these Christians. And that portrait, too, by the way, see, even though he has 
uh, dealing with a church that is leaning toward the legalism of the old Jewish ways that the other crowd are trying to teach them, he also is aware that they've come from particular sin patterns in their life. And so the things that he references in his vice list paint the portrait of a typical Gentile that's not a believer in Jesus. They followed pagan gods, and they did pagan things. And those things are summarized here. And yet, notice also that in this passage, when he talks about walking by the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, he says, against such things there is no law. See, the argument Paul ultimately makes is this. If you try to live by the law, if you try to live by every cross T and dotted I of the law, inevitably your own striving will only lead you to more sin. Because nobody, nobody, nobody is perfect and sinless. And nobody is capable of making themselves good enough for God on their own. And I'll tell you, for me, and probably for a lot of you, this whole idea that I need something greater than myself to change me is not a message that we're accustomed to listening to and it's not one we like all that much. Because we live in a culture that says that if you wanna make something of yourself, all you've gotta do is get down and pull up the bootstraps and go make something of yourself on your own. It's the message. It's the message we hear. But that's not the message of Scripture. In fact, the message of Scripture says you can't make something of yourself on your own. The message of Scripture says you need God. The message of Scripture says that you need the Holy Spirit to dwell within you and to guide you, and to encourage you, and to equip you to walking out your faith in Jesus and growing in faith in Jesus. We, we would use the term in theological circles, sanctification. The idea that God in his process with you over the time of your life is making you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal. And so the thing that I want us all to remember today from this passage, is that when I lay down my roots, the Spirit will produce the fruit. When I lay down my roots in Jesus, or to use the language of Paul, when I walk in step with the Spirit, it is no longer me or you who will do the changing work. It's God through his Holy Spirit. And you want to talk about power. God has sent his spirit to do something that only he can do because none of us are capable of changing ourselves on our own. That's power. You know, the other beauty of this passage is that when you look at the qualities of the fruit of the spirit, they kind of, they kind of become something of a mirror to hold up. I know we're accustomed to maybe holding the mirror up and pointing it to somebody else. But, you know, 
we often ask the question about our assurance and our salvation. And I know I'm going to need to tread on, I'm treading on thin ice by going here, but, eh, well, whatever. Here's the thing. We're called as Christians to submit to the waters of baptism and to follow Jesus. That is God's plan for everybody. But notice I didn't say submit to the waters of baptism and that's it. There's this whole following Jesus business. And the message of the New Testament throughout is that when you follow Jesus, when you submit to those waters, the Holy Spirit enters into your life and changes you day by day to become more like Jesus. And the evidence of that change in your life is what we call the fruit of the Spirit, amongst other qualities that we pick up here and there in the New Testament. And so if you ever want to know if you're walking and following Jesus and walking in step with the Spirit, hold the mirror of the fruit of the Spirit up. And don't do it so that you can turn it into a checklist to feel good or to beat yourself up. Just look and say, where am I at today? And don't try to fix it yourself if you see something glaring that's missing. Know the goal, again, is to lay down roots in Jesus. And I know we've said it in this series again and again and again, but I'm going to say it again. What does it look like to be open to God, to lay down our roots, to walk in step with the Spirit? Well, first of all, it means that we are a praying people. How can you, how can you listen to God's direction in your life if you don't pray? And praying isn't just talking, although that's a part of it, because we want to ask God, God, what do you want me to do with my life today? God, can you intervene in this situation that's been bugging me? God, what do you want me to learn here? But the moment we ask those questions, it turns into then listening. What is God going to say? How is he going to prompt you? What kind of assignment will he give you? And each day, God will help you grow in your time of prayer. The other thing is this. Uh, It's called reading scripture. Now, here's the funny thing about reading scripture. Reading scripture becomes one of the things we turn into the biggest legalistic thing in the history of legalism in Christianity. I mean, there's other things that can be legalistic, but we turn the Bible into something that it wasn't meant to be. But the reason I point you to the Bible is this. What Paul argues in this letter is that it is the message of Jesus and Jesus alone that his apostleship, his faith, his commissioning is based on. And where, oh where, church today in 2019, can we find the message of Jesus that Paul had, that Peter had, that James and John had, and the rest of them? Well, it's here. It's here. And so if we want to be rooted in Jesus, then we have to know not only the message about him, but we have to follow in his footsteps. I had a former professor that, used, that, that I heard say one time, you, you, remember, you remember those uh, WWJD bracelets? They were popular when I was in middle school. What would Jesus do? Well, he, he actually, he said, you know, we shouldn't be asking what would Jesus do. We should be asking what did Jesus do? 
Because we don't need to know what he would do in a situation. We know what he did in the text of Scripture. We know what he taught. We know that he went to the cross. We know that on the third day he was raised from the dead. We know that he intervened in Saul's life and made him into Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles. And we know that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus has guided the church ever since. And we know that story because of the pages of Scripture. Another thing to be open to God is to be open to one another in the context of the church. And one of the ways that you can do that here as a church is to be in a small group. A little plug since I'm the small groups guy around here. If you're not in one, I'd encourage you to consider it. And I know we've taken up the offering bags already, but we always have a spot on our response card where you can check to uh, sign up for a small group. And if you don't want to do that, you can go to our website and sign up right there. But what happens in a small group is our small groups exist so that people can lay down roots of faith with other Christians. They can form relationships with other people of faith and they can spur one another on. Because, as I always like to say, when Paul writes these letters and he says, you, he's not talking to you individually, he's talking to you, the collective church. This is a together thing, not an individual thing. And so we are meant to live a life of walking in step with the Spirit together, to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. Openness to God When I lay down my roots, the Spirit will produce the fruit. Uh, I need another another, uh, hit, Bryce. There you go. I'm just kidding. So I want to tell you a story of the hospital. So those of you that know me and my wife know we wait, we, we're weird millennials. So, you know, millennials these days, they, they're waiting to get married and have kids. Well, we got married at age 22, but we waited on the kids thing. We're weird. It's okay. Be weird. It's fine. <laughs> we waited, and we had a lot of reasons. Uh, my, my wife is um, a type 1 diabetic, and so there was fear there because, remember, I'm a control freak. Told you that. So here's the funny thing, though, about that is um, you never can give up control until you just decide to give up control. And so when she got pregnant, um, it was, I was so excited and scared at the same time. And along the way, um, Angie kept kind of doing this, like, talk to the baby along the way, saying, I, I, I need you to be strong. And she kept, every, every marker that we hit along the way, every doctor visit, everything would come out perfect. And so Angie kept saying, oh, this is a strong baby. Hence, that's why we named him Leonidas. But it's actually his second name, his middle name, that I want to tell you the story about. Because I prayed and prayed and prayed and God kept answering again and again and again. But if you know me, you know I'm an anxious person, I'm a control freak, and I don't always do a good job at trusting God, even when he shows up again and again and again and again and again. 
That's why I'm not so hard on the Israelites in the Old Testament. If I'm hard on them, I'm in big trouble. But you see, no matter how well everything came and went and everything, uh, once you're in the hospital room and the doctor comes in and they say, um, things aren't moving along and actually we're starting to see some stuff, so we probably should evacuate him. That's not the words that they use. I just have to make light of things uh, to keep myself uh, from not getting emotional. Um, I use humor to thwart crying. Anyway, um, (laughs) but here's the thing. Like, I always had heard, like, a C-section would be, like, a quick thing. And by the way, the procedure really is. But the bad part about it is, is they get your wife prepped and they get everyone in the room and they wheel her out and they leave you alone in there. They tell you to put on this stuff and then they'll come and get you. And they closed the door behind them and all I could see was the light under the door and the footsteps come and go walking by, just waiting for those footsteps to be the people coming back to get me. Needless to say, I did all of my crying in the room by myself. I had barely any left when he was acting when he actually came. I just smiled then. But in the room there, I started to cry and I started to pray and I started to shake. Because up until this point, all of my prayers had been answered. But now it was about to get real. And I didn't know. You know, there's no such thing as routine surgery. I've heard Dee Dee say that a billion times. There's not. And so I started praying. And I, I prayed probably a bad prayer, but I'm pretty sure God was just happy I was praying. I said, God, you've shown up again and again and again despite how much I fail to trust you. So I want you to show up again. And I don't want an object lesson. I don't want a bad story to tell where I overcome it and I can share it. What I want right now, God, is a healthy mom and a healthy baby, and that's it. You've done everything up to this point. I know you can do it again. And that's what I got. In fact, this kid scored like the best scores you can get on everything when they were doing all the stuff. I am dumb and anxious, and I can't stop being anxious, but God is good despite my own frailty. So I had had a middle name picked out for him, and and I picked it out because one of my favorite stories is in the Gospel of John, and it's of the disciple Nathaniel. And the funny thing about Nathaniel is we're not really sure, but he's probably one of the 12 that you hear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because Nathaniel's not mentioned So somebody in the disciple crowd, possibly Bartholomew, went by the name Nathaniel. But he's named Nathaniel in the Gospel of John. And the story is is that when uh, when Philip comes and finds Nathaniel, he says, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. (laughs) And Nathaniel says, "Uh, really? And they say, yeah, he's from Nazareth. And he says, well, can anything good come from Nazareth? By the way, that was a really good insult, apparently, in that time. Needless to say, Nathaniel didn't buy what Philip was selling him. But then Jesus showed up anyway. And he says to Nathaniel, 
Ah, here is a true Israelite indeed. And Nathaniel asks, well, how do you even know me? And he says, when you were under the tree the other day, I saw you praying. Now, the implication of the story is that Nathaniel was praying by himself and Jesus was nowhere to be found. And when Nathaniel heard Jesus say what he was doing without being present, he believed. <laughs> and Jesus basically concludes in the story, he says, he says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you'll see greater things than that. Hence, we gave him the middle name Nathaniel, which effectively means gift from God. And I named him that because I wanted him to have that middle name Nathaniel because it's a reminder to me that, that even when I lack faith, God shows up. No matter how much I try to muscle through my faith walk, it is always God that shows up and never based on my strength. So I want to encourage you today that based off of this passage from Galatians from Paul, to walk by the Spirit, to be open to God so that the fruit of the Spirit can be manifested in your life. Because when I lay down my roots, the Spirit produces the fruit. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for being so good and so gracious. I thank you for it's kind of funny, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I asked not for an object lesson, and you gave me one anyway. Um, and I just shared it. Um, God, I thank you for the fact that you're so good to us. I thank you that uh, you pick us up when we're weak, that you're faithful when we're faithless, that you're powerful when we're not. And I just pray, God, that uh, we will be inspired by the words of Paul to the Galatian church to put our faith in Jesus alone and to walk in step with the Spirit, not under the legalism of the law and not slave to the flesh. And I pray this, God, because your desire for us is to grow into the image of your son, Jesus. And I know that you're capable and the only one capable of turning us more and more into his likeness every day. I pray that for me, I pray that for everybody in this room, and I pray, God, that in that, that we will share that same faith message, our own version of the story, and our own testimony to everybody that is around us so that they, too, can know you and grow in you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.